0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 31st, 2022. I'm John Vaughorich, the editor of Commentary Magazine, reminding you that it is only two and a half months until the blowout, uh, all-star, uh, unprecedented commentary roast, our 12th roast, annual roast, of Barry this year of Barry Weiss. It's not our 12th roast of Barry Weiss who would have been three years old when we started the roast, if this were the 12th annual roast of Barry Weiss. Um, But it is going to be a killer. Uh, uh, Sunday, November 13th, 2022, here in New York. Uh, Go to commentary.org slash roast for details. It's an expensive ticket. It's an expensive table. This is our annual fundraiser. We need you to support us to continue doing the podcast, to produce the magazine, to produce the website, And this is one of the key ways that we do it. And it is an incredible evening. People love it. That's why we have been doing it for 12 years. We did it on the fly one year. People loved it. And it's just been getting better and better and better. So commentary.org slash roast. Noah Rothman, last day was vacation. He'll be back tomorrow with me as always, executive editor, Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And joining us today for the first time, my oldest friend, Hudson Institute Senior Fellow, author of The Political Teachings of Jesus. Uh, Todd, give me, give me, give me more titles, sorry. Oh, uh, how about The Heroic Heart, Greatness Ancient. History. The Heroic Heart, right. And uh, uh, former editorial page editor of the Washington Times, former editor of Policy Review, Todd Lindbergh. Hi, Todd. This is a very emotional day for me. You want to know why? What's all. Yesterday I dropped, Todd and I met first day at the University of Chicago, Mead House. I was in room 237. He was in room 239, maybe. Yep. Okay. Yesterday I dropped my daughter off at Williams College for her first day as a freshman in college. And I am delighted to say it is a beautiful town. And, um... Of course, one of our favorite commentary contributors, Michael J. Lewis, is a professor of art at Williams College, so I feel that at least in that one realm, uh, she is in good hands, which is not necessarily something you would say about a young person at college in 2022. Anyway, so uh, it's a weird day for me to be welcoming Todd to the podcast as it it just rem- causes reminiscences of. Dare I say 44 years ago. 44 years ago is when we started.
1: I feel like Todd ours. needs to spill some dorm stories from University of Chicago some at some point here in the podcast. <laughs> I,
2: I do what oh. I'm called upon to do. Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: We have the worst dorm stories. Wow. We were we were so we did things like we made up Ten thousand dollar pyramid categories, like what Schopenhauer would say on Saturday night. That's the kind of thing that Todd and I did during college. Wild and crazy. I <laughs> am not kidding.
2: We our, our idea of a big night was um, the Love Boat and Fantasy Island on television
0: on Saturday night. Yeah. that was that was the Saturday nights nine to eleven. You started out with a little, you know, just like a like an Amuse Bouche. With the love boat, and then you went into the high drama of Fantasy Island. I mean, my God, we were lame like few, few people have ever been lame. Well, we did turn it on a little bit during
2: our, uh, during our last year when we got into the uh, theatrical impresario uh, and musical comedy writing uh, business with All's Fair, uh, a story, All's fair, yes. a story of a war that breaks out between um, well, and here's where it, it's going to go nerdy again between the University of Chicago and Harvard University over a point of dispute and the interpretation of the first book of Plato's Republic.:
0: And the battlefield is in Kentucky. Saul Bellow makes a cameo appearance. Alan Bloom, then known pretty much only to Todd and me, made a cameo appearance five years before the closing of the American mind and hijinks ensued anyway. So I got nothing, but
1: I will tell you this. I'm so happy right now. I got a (laughs) good, I'm so happy right now. Having heard that story, I, I will
0: tell you this one thing. So going to the Williams bookstore or actually not the Williams book, the competitor to the Williams bookstore, like the Williams shop, which is not the official bookstore, but sells lots of t-shirts and stuff. There was at the counter, not that anyone would have had anything like this to fear from us in 1970, between the years of 1978 and 1982. But um, they had a product, which is, I swear you, a black vinyl thing that you put over your solo cup at a party so that nobody can put a roofie in your drink as seen on shark tank is this called a roofie protector it i didn't actually hold the object in my hand to see the label um but as my daughter pointed out this would really only work if there were some kind of like retinal scan because how are you going to be sure which solo cup, which top of the solo cup was yours? Maybe you took somebody else's, and then and then that other person would then be uh, subject to somebody else's roofie. Anyway, this was not our issue, and and but I will say this: we were uh, nerdily obsessed in our teenage and early twenty years with. The Cold War and the Soviet Union and the and the Titanic struggle between uh, between uh, democracy and freedom and communism, on the other hand. And this, of course, was then brought very much to home yesterday with the news that uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, someone who many people thought was already long dead for some reason, because he had vanished from the scene, had died yesterday at the age of 91. Mikhail, Mikhail Gorbachev was not a figure, uh, in world politics, uh, by the time we graduated from college in 1982, that was when the, um, premier of Palooza kind of started Brezhnev died, uh, Andropov at some point became, uh, the, uh, the, the premier of the Soviet Union with the word, with the news that he liked scotch and jazz, and therefore was somebody that we could work with, and then came uh gorbachev so th- this is a very we're in a very interesting historical moment because he was a titanic world historical figure, but um based on a mistake uh he made a huge i don't know civilizational civilization ending mistake in his own terms by attempting to restructure that which could not be restructured and i want to there's a very interesting uh, duality, sort of like dueling op-eds in the Washington Post this morning, one by George Will and one by Natan Sharansky. Natan Sharansky being the first uh, a political prisoner released by Gorbachev uh, after his nine-year stay in psychiatric hospitals and prisons and things like that. And uh, years later, he uh, uh, Sharansky reveals he was at some conference at which Gorbachev was present. Someone said, who was responsible for his release? And he said, first, all the dissidents who followed me and, you know, all the dissidents who were fighting alongside me and made this an issue. Second, the sort of a, a world public opinion, which, you know, sort of pressed and pressed and pressed the Soviet Union. And then third, Mikhail Gorbachev and uh he went over to Gorbachev whom he had never really acknowledged before and Gorbachev was angry at him and said you know i took an unbelievable risk doing what i did for you when i'm only third in your list and in this in this op-ed uh Sharansky apologizes to the late Gorbachev and thanks him for his action meanwhile george will on the other hand says that what happened was a mistake, that Gorbachev uh, is a world historical figure because he believed that he could do something that he could not do. Falling upward into the world's, failing upward into the world's gratitude, excuse me, Mikhail Gorbachev became a hero by precipitating the liquidation of the political system he had tried to preserve with reforms. Like Christopher Columbus, who accidentally discovered the new world, Gorbachev stumbled into greatness by misunderstanding where he was going. So this is a very interesting contrast, right? Does Gorbachev get credit for the dissolution of the Soviet Union? Uh, or should he, you know, be looked at as a kind of, in Russian literature terms, Gogol figure who sort of, even though Gogol's Gogol's unfortunate men are all petty and obscure, uh, you know, sort of Everything he wanted to do went wrong in the worst possible way, given his ambitions for them. Todd, where are you on this? Well, I
2: mean, I I think both these things can actually be true. Uh, You know, there is something of the cunning of history working here, if I may go Hegelian on us. Uh, There, uh, you know, even though he was making uh, decisions whose intended effect was very different from what he had in mind, which is to say uh, that he wanted a uh, he wanted this this communist system to work. Nevertheless, in introducing ideas like glasnost or openness and perestroika, the restructuring of the economy, he was, in fact, setting in motion uh, forces that, you know, to some degree uh, had a liberalizing effect and uh, not an effect that he could control. So that is where the
0: failure comes into the picture, I think. I want to read one thing to you guys and then ask Christine and Abe for you to respond. So I dug up the Man of the Year, the Time magazine magazine. Man of the year article by George church in nineteen eighty eight in which gorbachev was was named man of the year um i guess because uh couldn't name reagan every year anyway uh so uh he was he had by then been uh premier for four year three or four years and uh here here is the anecdote that has stayed in my head for you know for four decades or across four decades. Quote, the rising Kremlin star got a firsthand look at how far the Soviet economy had fallen behind the West's. When Gorbachev joined the national hierarchy, he was already well traveled by comparison with, uh, with other Soviet leaders like Andropov, who never set foot outside the communist world, and Mikhail Suslov who was the chief ideologist of the Soviet Union, who reportedly once told a visa applicant that he saw no reason why anyone would want to journey beyond the USSR. As a Politburo member, Gorbachev in 1983 headed a Soviet agricultural delegation on a visit to Canada and spent 10 days poking around farms, processing plants, and supermarkets. At one cattle ranch, he asked to see, quote, some of the workers. The rancher replied that there were none, he ran the spread of several hundred acres with only his family and a handful of day laborers. A Canadian host who speaks Russian heard Gorbachev mutter under his breath, quote, we are not going to see this in the Soviet Union for another 50 years, unquote. So this anecdote, <clears throat> he goes to a gigantic agricultural, he goes to a successful agricultural community, uh, you know, business and says, we're all the workers. And the guy says, well, we don't have any workers because we have machines that do this and, you know, can do everything. Um, Was this Eureka moment, clearly, that led to Glasnost and Perestroika. Um, And it's an astonishing detail because it reveals just how far ahead capitalism had led the West, and because the Soviet Union was relatively opaque to us outside of the major cities, we didn't really know how uh, retrogressive and retrograde their economy, their economic system was, though we had every intimation of it, and we made jokes about it, and you know, there were jokes about how we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us, but we just didn't we didn't realize how sick and and uh, you know sort of in critical condition uh, the command economy of the Soviet Union was. So that's my that's my detail, Abe. What's well, it's it's interesting because
3: uh, the I, I just uh, read an interview that he did in uh, 2011, I think, with the Guardian. Um, where one of the questions he was asked was whether he should have somehow gone about um, freeing the economy without before getting the sort of people involved in terms of um, uh, uh, sort of freeing up opinion and 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 changing things um, uh, sort of separate from the market, um, and he said no. And uh, when when Vladimir Putin uh, went about changing the the, the, the the law to enable him to to stay in power uh, longer than, than was anticipated, um, Gorbachev apparently said once again, um, reforming Russia could take fifty more years." Um, so I think there's a all of it showed testifies to a kind of um whether he stumbled into into history or greatness he 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 stumbled with intent you know he had an idea um a good a a sort of in the broadest sense a good idea that 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 i think he should get credit for but it i think all of this shows both the the story about canada and his response to 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 putin um that he was sort of um Hopeful, but sort of tried to tried to temper anything sort of messianic um, that that may creep up or or um, wildly ambitious, certainly after looking back on his on his mistakes. But also, strangely, one of the things in that interview he he said was that um, he wished that he had abandoned the Communist Party years earlier, five years earlier. Um,
1: But that's – I mean one of the interesting things though about that is that he – the The way that we are, that the West is talking about him now, where his he's had a kind of ascendant reputation, is as, you know placed in the perspective of of the collapse of the Soviet Union, isn't shared by the Russian people, right? I mean, there's a real sense that both both Gorbachev, uh, Gorbachev and Yeltsin were kind of bumbling idiots when it came to the economy and the collapse and the economic insecurity um, is what created the the void that that Putin has then filled and this idea that that this was a horrible weakening of of the Russian state and that you know, Putin's desire to rebuild to the strength of what it was when it was the Soviet Union is, is in part a result of the kind of chaos and disorder of those of those years that that although the West could look at that, and Abe's absolutely right, as an ideal, it was very heartening. I I was a kid. Gorbachev is really the first uh, Soviet premier I have any memory of as a kid. And, you know, the Cold War was very much a part of my childhood. And I remember thinking, seeing all this optimism on the american side about him and about glasnost and you know the 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 late 1980s you know talking to reagan and coming to the us and th- these were all seen as really promising signs but what has come after, in terms of how the Russian people see that history, is very different, given the disorder and the collapse and the and the corruption of the Russian economy, in particular. So I, I'll be curious to—I don't speak Russian, but I'm—I'd be curious to see what kind of uh, recollections and and uh, tributes are being uh, given to Gorbachev in Russia now versus what we're all seeing in the U.S.
0: Well, so we are twenty-one years kind of from the, you know, basically the literal collapse of this second most powerful country the world had ever seen. Uh, And it folded in upon itself. And, you know, uh, 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 nothing like this had ever happened before. And so if you gamed out the optimism of the early 90s to where we are now... um, everything that happened in response to Gorbachev in Russia, obviously since there is no Soviet Union, um, has now come to a head in its own way with what's going on in Ukraine, which is maybe the logical consequence of trying to undo the historical, reputational and 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 uh, imperial stain uh, that uh, Gorbachev, according to this, nationalist Russian view inflicted on this great country that was that laid itself low for no particular reason and may have led Putin himself, who was obviously a counterfigure to Gorbachev in some fundamental sense. He first he was a counterfigure to Yeltsin, but now he really is a counterfigure to any he's like, I will not, I will, I will restore what he broke. Um, in some fashion, and obviously that is not going the way that it was supposed to go uh, in his own mind, just as things were constantly not going the way the Soviet Union wanted them to go when they put up plans in operation all over the world and particularly in Afghanistan in the late 1970s, something that Gorbachev himself said in Canada in 1983 had been a mistake. He told somebody, uh, this agriculture minister, this Canadian agriculture minister, that he thought that the invasion of Afghanistan had been a mistake. Um, But uh, they were always getting everything wrong. But uh, the command system and the silence of the, the silencing of the people and the silencing of dissent and all that meant that we just, we didn't know. We didn't know how bad things were there. And he did. And the leaders before him refused to see it or believed they could muscle their way through it. And so it's an interesting thing when you consider this question. Like, could he have liberalized the economy without liberalizing opinion, right? That's sort of what, 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 what Abe brought up. So clearly the Chinese are, have worked for the last 35 years to do the opposite liberalizing the economy while clamping down on liberties and um then you have to say well is that is that going to be a is that is that are they going to win so that would really make Gorbachev the ultimate you know history's fool he went in the wrong direction if he'd done perestroika without glasnost maybe he could have pulled it off but i don't think that the russian character would have even made that that's that's actually remotely
3: possible that's actually what he said because the, in the interview it, it was brought china was brought up as the contrast and he said no 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 in it, I, he said i understand that but in 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 russia at the time we had to get the people involved it it, it was a different thing in the national
0: character i, I mean you had these titanic figures Sharansky was a titanic. Andrei Sakharov was a titanic world figure. Not, you know, a scientist just being kept under house arrest, you know, um, a nuclear physicist. And he was the moral, you know, he was one of the moral giants of our time and had independent standing independent of government, standing independent. He had no power. And yet, Gorbachev felt it necessary to free him because not to free him was to send the message to everybody in Russia that he wasn't serious, that he was going to try to do this on the cheap or something. Todd, you were going to say, I was going to say, look, I I think it's a mistake to frame this in terms of if only
2: Gorbachev had done something differently. Uh, The magnitude of the problem, uh, I, I, I think he began to have a sense of the magnitude of the problem that he faced when he became leader. But he also, I think, must have learned how little he actually knew about uh, how the Soviet economy worked. I mean, what would, what would Gorbachev's best source of information on the Soviet economy have been? Well, I don't know. Could he believe the people who were uh, in the apparatus, who were, you know, had production quotas to fill that they couldn't fill, uh, and on and on and on? I don't know. I mean, how, how good was his information? Maybe he was, Maybe instead he looked at the CIA's assessments. Uh, as uh, possibly the best uh, predictor of what was uh, really going, or best description of what was really going on, but the CIA, CIA at the time thought the Soviet economy was twice as large as it was, and thought the Soviet the Soviet military was spending half as much as it was. So you take we put those two things together, and you get a hugely discrepant sort of sense of what the reality was even under the best information at the time. And of course, this same uh, set of uh, uh, misperceptions were in place in, in the United States as a result as well. You know, we thought they were bigger and better and tougher than they were. Uh, so we didn't appreciate the extent of the vulnerability and weakness either. So I don't know. I mean, a, a different set of decisions by the Soviet leader at that particular moment would certainly, it could certainly have been different. I mean, when the, um, Protests started in Central and Eastern European countries in 1989. Uh, a different Soviet leader could have sent in the tanks, as in uh, uh, 56 and 68. That could have happened. And that would have been uh, a moral uh, uh, disaster. And Gorbachev did not uh, do that. And that matters. And, uh, but but the, the, the idea that somehow uh, this, this Putin esque fantasy that, uh, that if only, uh, the, the Soviet ruler had played the cards differently. Somehow, the Soviet Union emerged from that even stronger and better, and more efficient, and uh, less p- paving the way for the uh, uh, for the for the uh, the ascendancy of Putin in better circumstances. Uh, I just I think it's fanciful.
0: Right. Well, Todd, you know, you have published uh, we published an article by you in uh, either the June or the July, August issue. You have to July, August. yes. Me, I can never remember. OK, so we have a small board. We have a we have a we have an example of this right now about about misaligned perception with the with the war in, in Ukraine, because um, you allude to the fact that in the United States, it was conventional wisdom among the foreign policy elite and the and the and the leaders of the intelligence community and all this uh, we we got Russia wrong, we got the u s s r wrong, we did not understand how big their economy was, and we did not understand how big their military was, and we did not understand how much of their national resources were going in this incredibly foolish and suicidal way to prop up their military rather than to help you know create a modern economy. And it took the rather remarkable foresighted decision um, of the, uh, in the late 1970, or excuse me, in 1975, and I can't even remember when it was, to create a dissenting channel or to uh, convene a dissenting panel of Soviet scholars to study the information that the CIA was gathering and do what was called the, the Team B report that said, no, 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 the Soviet Union's economy is much smaller and its military is much bigger, but is also stretched much thinner. Um, And the report, as done and described extensively in the pages of commentary in the late 1970s by Richard Pipes, who was one of the people who led Team B, um, was poo-pooed. And was was kind of dismissed, or it was like, Yeah, well, whatever, you know, these the these cold warriors who like, you know, want us to be in perpetual war with the Soviets. And look, the stronger the Soviets were and the more powerful they seemed, the the greater the arguments were for some form of concordance with them, right? With treaties with them and trying to get, get them into the community of nations because they were too powerful to be left. Alone under their own, dev- how would we know they wouldn't be crazy and start launching their nukes? And you know, because if they thought they could survive it and their economy was strong enough to survive, in exchange, we better get them, you know, under an umbrella of treaties because they're really powerful, they're they're rich and they're powerful. And we and it turned out they were poor, and that they weren't all that powerful, and that everything they were doing with their military was actually harming their military. And we, we didn't accept that argument. And here we are in 2022. And Todd, you sort of lay this out about what we could, what we might have known about the Ukrainian military and the Russian military that we or a lot of people in the West didn't really grok until till the war started.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And in fact, um, we've been very busy in Ukraine. Since 2014 and the, so the Russian incursion into uh, Donbass and takeover of Crimea, uh, we've been working with um, the Ukrainian military in terms of uh, training, uh, et cetera, and uh, beginning in the Trump administration with arms, uh, with uh uh predator uh, the, the drones and the uh and also sniper rifles turn out to be very important to, with regard to these things um and I, I believe uh i believe there's been some open source reporting on this uh, not that i have any access to anything that isn't open source but you know i i we don't have boots on the ground except for our boots on the ground uh we you know we have paramilitary personnel and we have special uh forces uh Folks who were there covertly and uh, helping out, and uh, and I think that contributed very considerably to um, the uh, results in the early going of the uh, of, of the war. Uh, but also, uh, you know, the Ukrainians are, are tough and spirited and willing to fight. Uh, most people didn't. I, I think you know, most people were sort of um, uh, analysts here were sort of trapped in a kind of I don't know, almost a Putin mirror imaging. I mean, it was like. Um, uh, you know, is, is Ukraine really a place? I mean, You know, I mean, and, and that turns out it turns out it is. And then, of course, there was the uh, the incompetence of the Russian military itself, uh, as well as the uh, underlying failures that led to that in terms of the uh, uh, logist, things from logistics to maintenance to what have you, and it uh, was a great, you know, great internet meme making the rounds. It was a picture, a split frame. Uh, uh, sh- uh on one side is the stricken face of Shugui, and on the other uh, side is the strict is is Gerasimov, and the 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 caption is the uh, TFW that feeling when uh, Shugui realizes. Gerasimov has stolen half the fuel, and he has stolen the other half. You know, there's just no there, uh, there, there anymore. And then there was that very interesting report in the Washington Post um, uh, last week or so uh, about um, uh, about the intelligence that we had, which was really we had we had a very good peg on what they had in mind, and we were and we took it around to our allies to see. They look, they're you know they're serious. They want to do this, and everybody looked at their plans and said. That's crazy. I mean, no, he can't really, he's not really going to invade. If that's, that's the plan that they're going to use to invade, that's, that's just nuts. Um, so that did not exactly contribute to our ability to, uh, to, to get people to understand, but again, and, and I come back to it, you know, we didn't, you know, the expectation here, uh, again, apart from a few people who were, I think very much closer to, um, the actual training activities that were going on, had a better appreciation, um, uh, for what we've been up to uh the expectation was this was going to be over in
0: days if not weeks and that has an interesting analog to you know maybe the 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 sorts of things that that led ultimately to Gorbachev getting into power in the Soviet Union when the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan was met with uh, a kind of nationalist afghan response that they clearly did not anticipate either they thought they would roll in in you know in support of this uh, puppet government or the one that it, whatever and that somehow they would sort of get things back to normal the way they wanted them and it would be kind of like a, not exactly a cakewalk but it would be and it would be an assertion of their control of their near abroad in 1979 1980 and Um, And instead, you could argue that uh, that event, which led uh, Jimmy Carter, of all people, to say that he had learned more about communism in the previous week than he had learned in his lifetime, of course, the, the U.S. military buildup that followed that was arguably the main reason that the Soviet Union collapsed, that we created an arms race that they could not match once once we decided to. And we only did that in response to their aggression, just as right now, if this really happens, Europe seems to have come out of a multi-decade slumber about its own military obligations to protect and defend itself. And it's market and it's national, you know, it's its its transnational marketplace. Again, you have to believe this is gonna this is gonna continue over time. But we have, you know, Germany doubling its defense budget, all these countries doubling their defense budgets, changing their entire energy strategy, multi-decade energy strategy. Germany, you know, relying on cheap Russian oil and now deciding they have to build power, they have to build nuclear power plants in order to no longer be dependent on this source of oil. Um, All of that, that you have the Russian bear. We keep saying, don't, you know, the classic thing was people would say, don't poke the Russian bear. Well, actually that was wrong. Like the Russian bear ended up poking all of these other sleeping animals that were way more powerful than the Russian bear. Like, you know, they the Russian bear poked us, and then it turned out that we were a Kodiak bear and twice their size, and could eat them. And then your whatever is going on with Putin in Europe, you know, it's just interesting that we're we're everything old is new again.
1: But could I just I want to say uh, two things. One is that we shouldn't we shouldn't have any sort of amnesia about Gorbachev being an entirely cuddly bear, because I know there's a kind of sense of uh, that uh, in a lot of the coverage. I mean, he slaughtered Lithuanian protesters without a second thought. He's I mean, he was happy to actually bring force to bear against people who he thought were not falling into line. I mean, he was, you know, he was the premier of the Soviet Union. That's what that was the job. But it 's fascinating to me the cultural impact he had on Americans, glasnost and perestroika were likely the first two Russian words that the average American had ever really heard and thought about and, and you know knew what it meant um, the The softening the the idea that if you were raised during the Cold War your enemy was clear. All of your popular cultural references to an enemy, whether it was in an action movie or a spy movie, was always the Soviet Union. And that stuff started to soften. I mean, to the point that very quickly by the early, wasn't it the early 90s that, that Gorbachev appeared in a Pizza Hut commercial? I mean, there was a sense in which suddenly the, the, the head of, of the evil empire was in a Pizza Hut commercial, that the pace of change started to accelerate. At least if you were, if you were raised during the Cold War, like suddenly thing, history seemed to speed up and he was a very central figure in that but but as a cultural figure for americans i think um he he beca- he was the first human uh, premier in the sense that the first person who americans could connect to as a leader of the soviet union before that there was more of a veil and he he courted that opinion obviously but i he he was a transitional figure in our own culture in a way that that previous leaders of the soviet union had not been
3: well, something that's uh, depressed me about about his passing and reading the, st- the stories and is that it, it evokes the American side um, in all this, and not just the, the Western side, in terms of Reagan and Reykjavik and Thatcher, um, and and the whole American right and where it stood in relation to Russia and and to the idea that that oh. The U.S. has won here in part because it's it was it was correct, and 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 the Soviet Union was wrong, and it's depressing because that this is this is where all analogies between then and now sort of break down. Um, we are desperately missing that clarity um, on the right in in the West today, and there there are, there are few mean, lives left yeah. that sort of testify to to that 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 clean. Um, dynamic, and
0: and his was certainly w- one of the most high profile. Well, it has to be understood that um, Gorbachev's reputation in the West, as is often the case when you're talking about people and their contrast to leaders in the West who are not part of the overwhelming liberal consensus, was... Gorbachev was good because nobody could say Reagan was good or a lot of people. You couldn't say that Reagan had a bead on the Soviet Union that was correct. Reagan was simplistic and vulgar and and full of it. And his, you know, the evil empire was such a terrible thing to say. And he made a joke about how we begin bombing in five minutes. And how could you do that? That was so horrifying. And blah, 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 blah. And so there was Gorbachev. And it was like, he's good. Like, he wants to change things and he's not a he's not like a like a stupid actor like Reagan and you know uh and you know Margaret Thatcher said this is a guy we can do business with and so you know great like you know it was always very hard to make that case about soviet leaders before though they tried as i said andropov andropov there was a whole disinformation campaign that was set out to try to make it appear as though your andropov who was only there for a year was it even a year? I don't even think it was even a year was like uh, was 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 westernized. And so he was somebody that we could do business with because the because the fact is that the liberal intelligentsia in the West was more frightened of Reagan than it was of the Soviet premiers. And what did Reagan say? He just said, like, their economy is bad. They 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 believe in unfreedom and um and uh, i think we need a way to make sure that we are not totally hostage to their intercontinental ballistic missiles so we got a lot of new technology let's let's see what we can do with it maybe we can not live under this stupid mutual assured destruction doctrine oh my god that was even crazier he's living in a world of science fiction star wars this lunatic movie actor moron has now committed us to an insane policy of attempting to defend ourselves against this weaponry. And then seven years later, the Soviet Union was gone because Gorbachev took one look at Star Wars and said, that's it. We can't, if they're really going to go this way, you know, we don't have nothing. We got nothing. They've just been sitting there letting us work our will with Mervin and adding warheads to our things. And that. And now they've decided they're not going to do it anymore. Crap, <laughs> you know, I mean, and so there was there's a lot of that here. You're talking about the rights clarity, but it was also it, it remains a kind of weirdness of of the political discourse in the West that they look they'll they'll pick anybody rather than an American conservative to believe in. As long as, as long as that person, you know, isn't. But look, look where the Russians were. Like, they were, like, comically villainous. You know, I mean, Khrushchev came to the UN and bangs a shoe on the table and says, we will bury you, you know. Stalin, you know, shot everybody who was his own, you know, who was his own ally. Like, they were, this was, a, they were a kind of villainy. You know that that you rarely see, uh, except I think in you see Putin. Do you think we see that in Putin?
1: Yeah, I mean, Gorbachev's Gorbachev had relatives who perished in Stalin's famine. I mean, he actually had and and there's some, you know, if you want to do a psychological profile, one of the reasons why he didn't rush to violence to suppress, you know, the the breakup of the Soviet Union was his own experience with violence as someone who was raised in that environment. Putin seems to have had the opposite uh, sort of (laughs) lesson drawn, uh, which is that, you know, violence and force are your first First go to, um, there was uh, Alexander Navalny had a somebody got message out from him in prison like they announced Gorbachev's death in the prisons, in the you know and he was up, you know the, what what a contrast right the the man hailed for releasing so many political prisoners the current political prisoners here of his death and over the prison radio. So I, I don't know. I think I think Abe's right. Putin is is the return of the of the Russian villain, in, in a sense, although his, he also has a lot of the characteristics of the pre Gorbachev leaders. Right. He seems kind of sick all the time. Like He seems to be ill, uh, paranoid, uh, strange kind of personal life, uh, you know, lots of lots of uh, killing of one's enemies and through spy craft. I mean, there's a, there's there are weird sort of Cold War era similarities in terms of his tactics, at least in how we have seen and discussed him of late
0: yeah but i mean just to get back to abe's point about the right i mean we do have this bizarre right wing hatred of of prior generations of of what would be considered conservative conventional wisdom Right. So now if you if you think conservative conventional wisdom led us to the horrible mistake of the Iraq war, you're then like, well, what else did conventional wisdom get wrong? And um, and it's it, this is a very we're in a very weird area in which people why do they like Putin? Why did Pat Buchanan, of all people, start liking Putin 15 years ago? Why? Because he was anti-gay. That's why. I mean, it's, it's that plain then that, and that he said he wanted to restore some version. And, and there's a lot to this also, right? That, that, that social conservatism in 2022 says, man, there are all these really interesting Central and Eastern European leaders who just aren't woke the way everybody in the West is. And they're great. They're just, look what they're doing that we could, they're fighting at the universities and they're fighting and they're not letting, you know, they're not letting radical sexual ideology take over their countries. It's just that they don't like freedom very much as it happens. And yeah, and Putin kills his allies and, and Orban likes to shut down universities and things like that. Like it's, you know, it's not, they're not that They're and, and and changing rules so that they can stay in power longer than they were supposed to. It's like, you know, freedom, schmiedum. freedom, all, all freedom now means to a lot of people on the right is the freedom to, you know, is the freedom to change your gender. And that is a, we are now in a very, very terrible place in which there is no, we were unified in some sense on the right on the idea that the greatness of the West lay in the fact that we were free and we were up against this world of unfree, like actual pointed, deliberate, ideological un- or anti-freedom, and that's totally
2: gone. I don't think it's totally gone. I think it's, uh, it's about to uh, uh, undergo a comeback, uh, because it 's not just uh, the russia situation that we 're talking about here uh, it 's also China, and China is a much term problem and I think that uh, the, the, the the kind of the radicalism of putin 's decision to invade ukraine uh, also colors our you know perception of 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 china and uh, and I think that, uh, you know, even and there's this, oddly enough, there is a kind of a strong bipartisan basis for support for that. And, you know, returning to John's point about the bizarre um, uh, Russo-Simp, a strain of uh, conservative uh, of, of opinion. Um, yeah, but still, I mean, uh, when the question of whether Finland and Sweden were to, join nato actually came to a vote in the united senate which has 50 republicans one uh josh hawley uh, to uh, his lasting shame uh voted against it and so that was uh that, that's that's strong support and even you know thinking about the ukraine aid package yes it's consequential the 11 centers uh was it 11 i think um on, on the G, from the gop voted against it but on the other hand you know it's a package that's being put forward by the president and Part. Um, you know, the, the the fact, I think I'm a mistake for McConnell over it, but the fact that he kept as many people on board for what, in my view, was the right policy decision uh, sort of matters. So I, I think it, it, it's dangerous as well to um, kind of overstate the uh I, I, we clearly uh, during the pandemic during the past couple years of wretched excess in so many ways um many things have been you know were obscured and lost sight of uh but actually including i would say the uh, uh the, in the united states's uh, greatness notwithstanding its uh, problems and um and I think it'll I I, I don't there's an inflection point and in a continuous downward sloping trajectory toward oblivion. Uh I think it it does have the some sources potentially for a renewal not only within the, in the strength of our people, the strength of our economy and the strength of our uh capacity to innovate, uh, et cetera, but also because the world is not at friendly place. And, uh, and, and there are, uh, there is a, there is a Putin out there and there's a Xi out there and they seem to be willing to do things that will cause us to remember who we are and what we believe in.
0: Okay. You know, this is enough to make you want to take to your bed, some of these depressing details. And if you're going to take to your bed, you know what you need, Boland branch sheets. You know why? Cause they got the best con- organic cotton threads on earth, a hundred percent organic cotton threads, superior softness, better night's sleep, okay? Sheets made with threads so luxurious, they're beloved by three U.S. presidents. They're not just buttery, breathable, and impossibly comfortable. They get softer with every wash. And look, forget thread count. Bowen Branch gives you thread quality because it doesn't matter how many threads your sheets have if they aren't the best threads possible. So like I said, highest quality threads on earth. Threads so luxurious, beloved by three U.S. presidents, buttery to the touch, super breathable, perfect for every season. Over 10,000 stellar reviews, nine neutral colors in all sizes from Twin Up to California King. You'll immediately feel the difference of their iconic signature sheets. They're 100% free from toxins, meaning no pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. And they fit the deepest of mattresses and are labeled with top and bottom tags. So making your bed is easier than ever. Best of all, Bowen Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. So get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code commentary at bowenbranch.com that's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H dot com promo code commentary. And what better way to commemorate the uh the end uh, or you know, or the, the to memorialize uh Mikhail Gorbachev than to sign up for David Bonson's economics course I've been telling you about at Bonson.com, B-A-H-N-S-A-N.com. Why? Because David's course will reveal in its 30 lectures, its syllabus, the quizzes and tests you can take, all entirely for free. It will reveal the what Todd was talking about, the power, strength, and enduring value of freedom, of a free economy, of free trade, and the, the, the free exchange of goods and services uh, unmolested by central planning that is at the heart of the liberal what we could call the western experiment and why communism uh was such a perversion of that all of that in, in david bonson's economics course at dot com. go you'll see the big b in the top right hand corner just move your eye over a little to the middle you'll see the words economics course click on it put in your name put in your put in your uh email address, say why you want to take the course, and you're off to the races for free. This is the best offer we have for you. Free education, free learning, free touch, either a refresher course or a complete grounding in economics and economic theory from David Bonson of the Bonson Group. Now, Todd, you were talking about how there may be a recommitment to our, you know, to to American greatness and all of that. You could say that, of course, that was the theme of the Trump administration in its own way, although I don't think that a lot of us think that what he was actually doing was directed to that uh, purpose. But um, obviously, tomorrow night, we hear that uh, Biden is going to give a nationally televised address that goes directly at uh, the uh, divisions in the country. Uh, the rise of what he seems to be calling semi-fascism and the ultra-MAGA Republicans who are destroying the country. And I bring this up only because, obviously we should be talking about it, but um, there is an interesting effort underway by Biden and the Democrats, and I don't blame them because politically they need something, but to say that the vanguard of Trumpism, if there is such a thing, the vanguard of Trumpism, the kind of... Compact Mag, Claremont Institute, American Greatness wing of whatever the hell that is, um, that this very small rump of opinion uh, represents the general views or is reflected in the general views of the Republican Party, which of course has, for which 74 million people voted In the last presidential election, for its candidate. And it's an effort to say that this small band of people who really arose to try to come up with an intellectual justification for Trump's own, whatever Trump's own personal brand of politics and solipsism and everything all together. Um, and so they're they're trying to put meat on those bones. They've been trying for years. It doesn't really work because he keeps interfering with it. Um, and then this week, of course, calls for a do-over of the 2020 election again, calls for some kind of weird uprising within the FBI. Like things are getting perilously close to very, very discomforting territory for anybody who thinks, well, you know, President of the United States should sort of support the language of the U.S. Constitution. uh, uh, Many words in the U.S. Constitution are dedicated to the literal way in which you elect a president. And then when it happens, it happens every four years. It happens on the first Thursday, first Tuesday in November. And then they have to do the electoral, count the votes. There is no do-over. And we have the guy who was president calling for a do-over. That's not good, right? So Biden is now trying to take that, tar the entire Republican Party with it, attach it to everybody who would vote Republican, and shame people who might say, well, I, I am not a Republican, but I would to vote for them, and say you can't vote for them because they want to destroy the country. Now, so my question is, good strategy or bad strategy? Because there's a lot of people on the right saying, he can't do it, this is stupid. Look, he's calling everybody ultra-maga, and saying they're semi-fascist, and that's not fair. That's not right. And people are going to be very upset. And I don't think that's right. But I want to hear what you guys think. Todd, what do you think? Well, you know, I think
2: that I, here, here. here's what I think. I, I think the January 6th hearings, which you guys have been talking about, of course, uh, were Actually, uh, interesting in the sense that uh, I think it, they got a lot of uh, Republicans thinking, you know, this, may, this 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 particular proceeding may be you know partisan and uh, v- difficult in many ways, but you know that was than I thought it was on the Trump side, um, and I think um, I think at some point Democrats may realize they were electing Ron DeSantis. Uh, and so then we got, you know, the things veered into the story about trying to grab the wheel of the beast. Um, and I'm not entirely sure I ever understood how the what the physics of that were. It sounded like, you know, it sounded to me like somebody was repeating a joke uh, that somebody made about how Trump wanted to go to the Capitol. And boy, he's even willing to grab the wheel of the beast, you know. Um, but uh, I don't know. And 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 it brought Trump back. It brought it re recentered him in american politics um and I, I think that was you know if it wasn't intentional on the part of uh, you know that uh, little group of democratic uh, mega donors and strategists who meet wherever it is that they meet uh if it wasn't intentional they sh- it should have been uh it, you know it's it's good politics um yeah. and uh and, and i think um uh you know trump is you know trump makes the most of it now as far as his spo- as, as the supposed captivity uh, of Republicans in you know by trump uh, um, there 's both something to that and not much to that. Uh, many politicians in the g o p have a time horizon for their careers that extends beyond Trump uh, in terms of his political influence, natural lifespan, et etc. nevertheless, there is a very large phenomenon we have on our hands here, which is trump, and so they need to figure out how, they need to figure a way through that, and um, it 's probably not through um, attacking Trump directly. Uh, it's probably not through supporting uh, impeachment proceedings, unless your pol- political ambitions, uh, you know, took you or, or taking you in a different or to a different place. Um, and so, I mean, uh, the, that there should be lots of jockeying and maneuvering under circumstances like this. Uh, you know, I, I, I get it. But uh, do I actually think that the, the Republican Party has been uh, taken over by Trumpism to court? No, I don't think that.
1: But it is, I mean, as a strategy for the Democrats, I think it's, it's short-term clever for midterms. And, and this is why, for one, it, di- it completely distracts voters from the absolute hash that, that this administration has made of the country over the last few years of the economy, the situation with the economy. It's a way around uh, Biden's absolutely horrible approval ratings. It's a way not to talk about the kinds of things that actually Americans have been saying to pollsters for the last six months they really are concerned about. Um, so it, it, it's a workaround for that. But it's something else, too. It's motivating for the for the base that the Democrats need to turn out in these midterms because it returns politics to something existential. Because remember, the other thing that that Biden has been touting the speech as being is about how he's going to it's a fight for the American soul. Well, guess what? If your soul is dependent on politics you have a very bad god you need to actually rethink what you're worshiping but for a certain kind of secular democratic voter politics is a religion it's a faith and and he's invoking in the people that they need to turn out exactly that. It's like, this isn't just your average midterm election with spiking inflation rates and, you know, all me giving away debt, you know, you you, be quiet, you blue collar workers, you know, this is good for the country. No, it's an existential crisis. And they need that. And Trump, of course, as Todd's exactly right, plays directly into their hands with his with his insanity. Um, But they actually need each election to be at that register, because that is unfortunately the register in which our politics is now conducted. I don't think it helps them two years hence. But for now, to get voters out, it, it might work. Um, people love that kind of stuff. Biden is not a great messenger of that. I have to say his 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 speech last night was at times interesting, but at other times completely garbled. And he doesn't know what he's talking about half the time when he gets into specifics. So maybe in the lofty register, he'll do better if he stays on message. But um, I do think that it's incredibly insulting to any voter who thinks the Biden administration's policies are bad for the country because now you're a semi-fascist, if you believe that. But that's politics today.
3: Well, I mean, I do think it brings him back to to the to the only place where at this point, Americans are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, which is that he's not Trump. That was that was the initial proposition. That's what they liked. Um, What he does is not Trump. No one likes Um, So, but let's, so let's take, let's go back one step and remember he's not Trump and that's, and that's where he's most comfortable. And of course, you know, he's not exactly on the ballot in midterms, but in a way he is, because we've been talking about how his approval numbers drag down uh, the party. So in that sense, it's an interesting strategy, Um, uh, uh, a sort of bank shot, uh, as John might say, you know,
0: well look, if 75% of the people who are Republicans, I think that's the number that has been higher, but I you know, approve of Trump. If a majority of people who say they're Republicans think that the election was decided in error and therefore believe that therefore you could sort of say an analogy would support things to fix that which was broken in 2020, biden and the democrats saying that the republican party as a as a whole again like 70 million people or however many people it is that a majority of the republican party uh is acting in a fashion that betrays the national american experiment that's not untrue that's they're not, he's not making, you could say, well, it's vulgar. It's vulgar to say all Republicans are fascists and it's a terrible thing to do or, you know, but you could say, look, if this is your political, if this, if this is where you have been, you have gone politically, you got to own the logic of the positions you're taking. If you say that Biden isn't legitimately the president and that therefore things need to be done to take the presidency away from him. You are supporting extra constitutional methods and measures. If you say that, you know, prosecuting people who did January 6th isn't, you know, they they shouldn't do that, then you, you have to defend the idea that you support some seditious action here or that seditious or that action that is taken to, you know, yeah yelp about something that you agree with uh is defensible because you don't like where things are going um i just don't think it's politically illegitimate this is the oddity position that i'm in i just don't think that it's politically illegitimate or that biden is doing something insanely demagogic by saying look if you vote republican in 2022 you might, you know, you might want to, th- I, I, you, you might want to think twice about it because people are going to take interesting lessons from your vote here. And they're going to think that you're saying that Trump should be reinstalled as president, maybe, and that's why all these pollsters, including Republican pollsters like Whit Ayers and people like that, are saying Democrats are successfully turning the 2022 midterms from a referendum into a choice, and that is a huge. Victory for Democrats, if that continues to be the case. A referendum, if it's a referendum on Biden, Biden is toast. But if it's a choice between Biden and Trump, or Biden and the Trump Republicans, that's one of the reasons that we see this, the fact that the midterm margins in terms of where things are going have closed to even. So... That's where that's where I am. I don't wish I weren't there, well, but I don't know what else to. I, well,
3: okay, I'm sort of there in that I I I'm with you that the the complaint itself the the issue he's bringing up is not illegitimate. I cannot, however, stomach it because it leaves out the anti democratic shenanigans and worse than shenanigans going on 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 the other side.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, and it relies on an under on, on a absolutely condescending uh, uh, assumption that the American people don't actually know what fascism is. I mean, maybe maybe that's a correct assumption, but the but the but the idea that you're going to call fascism what this is, you're right that that Trump's rhetoric is definitely extra constitutional. Potentially seditious, all of these things. It's all very bad, but it's not 1920s Italy. Like this is not the rise of fascism in the sense that it is, and it has. Yeah, been...
0: Yeah, that's what they said in 1920s. Well, Italy. Right. No,
1: this has been the this has been the mantra of a kind of elite intellectual on the left yeah. now since Trump uh, achieved office. But Abe is absolutely right. Like, if the standard for fascism is questioning the legitimacy of election, then Hillary Clinton and and Stacey Abrams too are part of the fascist conspiracy. I mean, these are not these are these are not labels that we should right. be throwing. Again, Lightly.
0: I am not talking about the justice and merits of these. It's just to say like that um, a political party given an opportunity like Trump saying we, we must suspend the current election and have a do over. You get to run on that. If you're no, if you're absolutely. In the other party yeah, you'd be a full And to. he's not a fringe figure. He's the most popular person in the Republican Party and the and the you know the likeliest nominee for 2024. You get to use that in your campaign literature. You know, it's not unfair to say, okay, do you agree with that? Does that make sense to you? And then you throw the other people on the defensive you you know because either they say well i'm not going to talk about that then it's like well why won't you talk about that why are you scrubbing your website blake masters you're scrubbing your website because you don't want to be associated with the idea that the 2020 election was unfairly decided because your polling is showing that arizonans are made very independent arizonans are being made very uncomfortable by that argument well zygosun to you but you know what sorry we're going to run 25 million ads million dollars worth of ads about this against you and your campaign committee just canceled all its spending in your state so have fun like this is politics politics ain't beanbag you know you got to this is a rough and tumble thing this is for all the marbles and republicans are making it very clear that through their action in action and their continued support for this raging lunatic moron monster in florida who did some very good things as president but is a cracker barrel bonkers crazy person if they're going to continue to say this is my guy Yes, I said it. Go ahead. Write me and tell me that I'm terrible. He's
1: also strategically made. I mean, the most recent error being this call for a special master, which which gave a beautiful opening uh, the, for the Justice Department to release what it released uh, late yesterday. Uh, yeah. All of the, the images of top secret stuff scattered all over the rug at Mar-a-Lago, a list of all of the things that that he had. In fact, uh, he and his staff might have actively prevented uh, the archives from from uh getting so yeah i mean he's he's just hired a new another new lawyer uh i pity the fool as as we said in the 80s i pity the fool who takes on that job but good luck to you uh florida former former uh, florida sg um but he's making constant errors too and you would think if if republican candidates want to cut and run from trump right now it's a they have reason to do so. They have legitimate things they can point yeah. to that say, yeah, he's gone too far. I agree. Like, but it is too late for a lot of the Blake Masters of the world to do that.
0: Look, it's very simple. OK, you got you got a race between a senile guy saying that, you know, when he was a lifeguard, you always knew which people skin of certain skin colors were the best basketball players. So he, you've got a senile Leftist racist racist on the one (laughs) hand, and then you have this crazy person crook stealing classified documents and then lying to the authorities about whether he has them. And then his bonkers, you know, uh, acolytes saying, oh, no, he just, you know, classified all of them. See, that's an argument for America needing soul searching. Simply through the power of thought, (laughs) classified all of them, and clearly he didn't. And then they lied to them forte. They moved them around, according to the FBI. They moved the documents around Mar-a-Lago to keep them from having said, yes, you can come get them. Then they moved them into other places, including stuff about the sex life of Emmanuel Macron, which I have
1: to say, I find very. Thing I would watch that Netflix series. I'm just. I am out there. very. Please, I producers, don't, you know, get the This that. is the one
0: thing that Trump and I have in common, which is what the hell is going on with Emmanuel Macron and his wife. Nobody knows. Maybe it's not my business, but I, I'm just human, and I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing that document just for my own prurient interest. But so, but I'm just saying, like you know, so. Yeah, make the election a choice. What a great choice that is, right? But it is really, you know, it's like it's interesting though because now Biden's out on the campaign trail, and as Abe would say, that's not good for Democrats. Like they should get him; he should get COVID again a couple Back more in the times. With him, because yes. if he if he just they can make it better a choice if he's not one of the choices. Like if he's not actively one of the choices, but he is out and about. And, and he's already blowing it, you know, with like his basketball comment.
1: <laughs> oh, and don't get him talking about the how guns work. That's actually the most hilarious. Yeah. If it, it, yeah. Please do not let that man tell yeah. us about how yeah. bullets and the physics of bullets and their yeah. trajectory.
0: Yeah. But look, if any of you tell me after Trump's behavior in the last two weeks mm-hmm. that he's really the best candidate for 2024, please, you know, allow me to play poker with you because I will I'm not that good a poker player as Todd will a test he's a better poker player than i am but even i could beat you that's all i'm gonna say because you are no longer thinking logically about what is about the way things are going anyway todd lindberg my oldest friend thank you so much for being on the podcast and bringing us your wit and wisdom and stories about love boat and fantasy island which really could have remained buried. Well, you know. Paul Christine's fault. Well, we all got they
1: didn't remain buried. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and uh, noel will be back tomorrow for Abe and Christine. I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle
1: burning.